good to see you all. Happy Mother's Day to all those of you that are mums. It happens but once a year where the dads get out of bed and do everything. And on the other days... <laughs> well, I don't know why it is, but for dads, every other day seems like Father's Day. But for mothers, it's like their one day. I'm not sure how it works like that. But it can do. Look, big thank you to all of those that um, are in our creative team for doing this stuff. These guys have done a great job. I know at least a few of them got up at 3 o'clock yesterday morning to go to the market to go get those while we were all sleeping. So thank you so much for all the guys and ladies that have been involved in that. I think we're giving these out at the end. Is that right? Great. So you'll all get them. That's the... Oliver, that's just the ladies. You won't. I know, mate. I know, I know. I know. You forgot a mother's day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all the young men are thinking, result. This is good. I can take one of these to my mum. I got over three o'clock for the market. Good. Okay, well, if you want a title for this morning's message, I've called it A Mother's Sure and Certain Hope. And I'd be grateful you return with me, please, to Psalm 23. Today we are celebrating Mother's Day together, a day which actually has its origins in Britain when it was great in the early 1600s. It was a day that was actually made to be celebrated annually on the fourth Sunday of Lent. And tradition had it that children and servants and apprentices and employees and all that type of folk would actually go home and, and be with their mothers and bless them with flowers and, and care and often a, a small fruit-filled pastry called a simnel. And you'd rock back up and your mum would go, oh, a simnel. And you'd go, yes, mum, I chose it specially. And so in the early 1600s, that's exactly what happened and for years and years and years, all the way up until the early 1900s. But in the early 1900s, with the two world wars, it really died out. So much was going on across the world um, that no one really had time to celebrate any days. And so really Mother's Day died out. And yet post-World War II, the Americans, in a way that only they can, revived the custom and added a whole load of razzmatazz back into the same thing. And so now millions of cards are sold across the world. Now you go to Kmart the day before. And you find flowers and chocolates and slippers and pajamas and mugs, you name it. It's all there for our mothers. And then we give it to them and you get all these children giving it to their mothers in love. But throughout history, although the day has changed somewhat from the early 1600s, the whole design of it was a day given over to honoring mums. And I want to use this day then pastorally in this church to honor our mothers too. It's exactly like Mike said in the notices before, well before Mother's Day was invented by anybody, God invented a, a grace on our lives and an importance on our lives to honor mothers. Number five of the Ten Commandments says, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so today I want to acknowledge that command and I want to apply that command by devoting an entire message to all of you that are mothers to remind you to encourage you, to really cheer you on in what God's calling you to do, the high and lofty calling that's on your lives. And what you mothers do is, is heroic. It's incredible the way you walk through motherhood for the glory of the Lord. And I think sometimes culturally it's something that's, that's not respected. 
So as a pastor, I want to I want to shout it of how much we do respect it, how much we do love it, how much we do cheer you on, what the Lord's calling you to do, and how much we do want to honor you for what you're doing. And so if you're not a mum, which includes me, I just want you to listen in because we are family. And so this is moments, these are moments where we get to learn what is God calling mothers to do and be able to support them and encourage them. And the truth is this text also applies to you. But if you are a mum, this is specifically for you. This is the word of God to you. So let's read Psalm 23 together. It's a Psalm of David and he writes as follows. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this day. We thank you that we get to pause and honor mothers in this sacred and holy ground and monumentous task that you've called mothers to. Lord, I pray that this psalm would minister to their souls. Lord, I sensed through the week that you laid it on my heart for them. So Lord, would you have your way in them? Would you strengthen them and encourage them? And Lord, would these truths be built into their hearts by your grace and for your glory? Amen. Some of you ladies that are mothers are probably already wondering... Just how on earth does Psalm 23 relate to motherhood? I mean, particularly as I was reviewing it, this part on even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, it sounds quite extreme and to then have a, have a message on motherhood from it. And it's a good question. Charles Haddon Spurgeon called this the pearl of Psalms. Alexander McLaren, another Scottish preacher, said the world could spare many a larger book better than this little psalm. It has dried many tears and supplied the mold into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. This is a pearl of a psalm. And it is, I think, many books could be spared more than this psalm. But the question still redounds, what has this got to do with motherhood? How does it correlate towards being a mum? And yet I think as you pause on this psalm and do so for a length of time... That it begins to spit, that see, you begin to see how much this does speak to motherhood and how much it should encourage you in what the God Lord is calling you to do. You see, I've been a, uh, a dad for now, four, for now 12 years. And Josh was born to Emma and I on May 2002. And so I've had the privilege of watching a very beautiful wife be a mum for the last 12 years of our lives. And what I've discovered through that, watching Emma, watching my sister, watching my sister-in-laws, watching all the people that I get to pastor by God's grace and interacting with people. What I've found is motherhood really has, I think, two things attached to it. On the one hand, there are many great joys of being a mum, isn't there? There's many great things. You don't usually see too many sad mums on Dedication Sunday. 
They are beaming. They're just so excited about what the Lord has done, this gift of grace to their lives. There's many joys when that child looks you in the eye and says, Mom, I love you. When they rock up on Mothering Sunday with 135 cards that they've made by themselves and they all just say, I love you, Mom. You know, they're special moments. When the kids get older and they're able to communicate to you, when they get even older again and they want to be your friend, there are many joys that I've observed in, in seeing mums in action over a whole broad range of age, age groups of children. And yet I've also found there are many challenges of being a mum, isn't there? Many challenges that come with your role. Many moments where you can feel tossed around by unabating challenges. Challenges of exhaustion. Challenges of loneliness. Challenges of futility. Wondering if it's making a difference anyway. Challenges of guilt, where you're aware of all the things you're doing wrong. Challenges of confusion, where you just think, I don't even know what I'm meant to be doing anyway. Challenges of spiritual dryness, particularly for those with small children, as you're aware, I'm just constantly caring for their needs. And moments then, every once in a while, that I think you just wonder, am I just going to drown under all these demands and responsibilities that are on my life as a mum? Some 40 years ago, now a lady wrote the following. She was a, a, a mum of three children. And see if you can't relate As a mum, she says this. The day Billy Billy took his first steps, our whole life changed. Now he climbs stairs and teeters at the top with one foot poised in midair. Now when his older brother and sister play Candyland, he can stand in the middle of the game board throwing cards in the air. He pulls ingredients off shelves. He makes Cheerio Mountains and pours olive oil on his head. He wakes up shouting at 5.30 a.m. ready to commence his endless investigation of our decimated house. He goes to bed at 8.30 p.m. and Steve and I then follow soon after. We drop into bed at night with heavy sighs. Three children is a lot, says Steve. (laughs) I'd always wanted three children and maybe more. Of course, I can't imagine life without any of them. It's just that right now, life around here is so grueling. I have to make advance arrangements just to step into the bathroom. I lie awake projecting into our future. In two years, Billy will be the age that Charlie is now, almost three. An age that seems so independent and thrillingly mature by comparison to now. Some days I murmur to Steve, we will have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and a nine-year-old. Someday there will be five, seven and eleven, six, eight and twelve I spin the different combinations in my head like a gambler dreaming of the perfect hand. I called up a friend who has a child just just a few months older than Billy. I dial twice because the first time my son pulls my glasses off. As we talk, he sings into the receiver, which is then wet because he licked it. He grabs my coffee, points at the record player demanding music, and then gets himself tangled up in the extra-long telephone cord. How long does this stage last, I asked her. When does it get easier? Search me, she says. I'm still waiting too. How many of you ladies as mums can relate to that story? There are many challenges of being a mum. It is a season of life, just like many other seasons of life, that is quite unique and comes with unique challenges. Challenges of exhaustion, challenges of loneliness, futility, guilt, confusion, and spiritual dryness to, to really just gives such a few. And it is my desire then to encourage you today and seek to strengthen you today 
as loudly and as clearly as I can from Psalm 23, just this one really important thing. It's something that I believe the Lord wants to have burnt into your hearts as mums. And it's simply this. Mothers, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That even in the midst of your challenges, even in the midst of your temptations, even in the midst of the times when particularly if you have small children, you are by yourself wondering if anybody will ever notice. God wants you to know that surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And trust as we see that and unpack that in Psalm 23, that you would be encouraged, that you would be comforted, and that you would be strengthened in the task that the Lord's calling you to. Four points then. They're not complicated and they're not going to take as long. Here's the first one. The word, surely. Look at verse 6. He starts the whole conclusion of the psalm with, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That word is really important. It's so easy to skip over words in the Bible and just become accustomed to them. But this is a word that we should not just become accustomed to, that we should not just skip over because it's important. It would be a big mistake to skip over that word because what David is saying here is there is something that I am utterly convinced of. Not just, you know, I'm hoping or, you know, fingers crossed I might get around to it or maybe. For David, what he's about to announce is there is something that I know for absolute sure. There's something that I would give my life on. There is some hill somewhere where I'm about to state that I know is true for me in my life. You know, mums, as you look out on the year ahead, what can you be absolutely sure of? Can you be sure of your child's health? Not really. Can you be sure of your child's relationships? No. Can you be sure of your child's walk with the Lord, that they would go on to serve the Lord with all their heart? No, it's tricky to control. See, the reality is motherhood is filled with so many uncertainties and what-ifs, isn't it? And if you're a very capable lady and a capable mom, what-ifs are a challenge, aren't they? Because it's nice to control things. And then this small child arrives and you realize, I can't control them. And your whole life is then filled with all these what-ifs. What if my child does get sick? What if this child arrives and I can't actually nurse this child? What, 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 what difference will that make to their lives? How will I cope with that? How will they cope with that? What if I don't feed them quite right and they get sick on the result of something that I'm doing or not doing? What, what's that going to feel like? What if they have to go for an operation in their life? How would I handle that as a parent? And as a mum, I just don't know how I could cope with that. What about discipline? What if I do that all wrong? What if I don't discipline when I should be disciplining? What if I over-discipline when I shouldn't discipline? How do I know? What if, as the result of my discipline, this child just becomes a horror child? But, you know, what do I do? What about school? What if I pick the wrong school for them? What if I pick this school for them and they go there and they fall in with a bad crowd and they have no friends and they're the, the small child that's walking around the playground by themselves with others bullying them? What if as a result of that they don't get on very well at school and they never really grasp academics? What if they're forever living at home because they can't get a job because I chose the wrong school? What if they injure themselves 
You know, there's something around the house that they, oh no, they've scraped their leg. What if it gets infected? What if it gets gangrene? What if it has to drop off? What, what if they hurt themselves? What if I say yes to them going over to a certain friend's house and they get injured at that house? Should I have taken more care? What if I blow it with them relationally? What if I say something to them in their lives that as they get older, they really reject and they become estranged from me? Their behavior really turns for the worst and they reject God, maybe because of me. What if I'm doing all this wrong? Ladies, the reality is when it comes to motherhood, there are a lot of uncertainties, aren't there? A lot of what ifs. And we're called by the grace of God to seek to train these children in the way they should go, but you are so limited. You are so limited in what you can do. But here in the midst of those uncertainties, King David wants to look you in the eye and say, you know what, even in the midst of those uncertainties, there's something you can be sure of. There's something that you can know. There's something that you can be utterly convinced of in your life. There's something that you can stand on as a mum. And here it is, point two. What can you be sure of? Let's read. You can be sure of, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me. What can you be sure of? You can be sure of goodness and mercy, and that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your lives. Charles Haddon Spurgeon calls these the twin guardian angels of Psalm 23. And I just love that imagery that he paints in such a British and Baptist way in all the glory. So goodness, toeb, and mercy, hesed, two attributes of God that he's painting in the picture of guardian angels that are following David. And what David is saying is, I'm utterly convinced that these two attributes, these two guardian angels, are pointing and are poised on my life. I'm utterly convinced that these attributes will follow me all the days of my life. David is absolutely sure of it. He's sure of it because he knows God. He's aware of who God is. He's aware of God's greatness and his splendor. So he's saying, I know who God is. But it's more than that. When you study the psalm, he's not just talking about some out there God that he knows of doctrinally. He's saying, Lord, I know this because I've experienced it. As I review my life, you've always had goodness and mercy following all the days of my life. Look with me. Let's study it together. Verse 1. Look at David's experience of the Lord. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And I shall not want. The Lord, the word there is Yahweh. That's why you see it in capital letters. Yahweh, the personal name for God. The personal name that was first disclosed to Moses in the burning bush. A name which literally means I am who I am. Yahweh, the Alpha and Omega. The one who is self-sufficient. The one who knows all things. The one who spins the galaxies. The one who is Lord over all. The all-knowing, self-sufficient, all-wise, all-seeing, all-powerful maker of heaven and earth. Yahweh is my shepherd. That's incredible. Just that whole premise of that verse, the way it's put together. It is an amazing combination of ideas. Yahweh, the one who is above and beyond us in every way, is my shepherd. And David would know what it was like to be a shepherd. For many years of his life, he had been a shepherd boy. 
And so he knew only too well that the role of a shepherd would contain 24-7 intimate care, intimate protection, intimate provision, intimate guidance. It's the only way you can care for a sheep. And to David, he's saying, and I know this is the way it's been. Yahweh is my shepherd. And so he concludes, I shall not want. I love that. He's not saying everything in my life has just gone super cool and everything I ask for, God gives me. But he's saying in light of the fact that you are Yahweh and you intimately care for me as my shepherd, in reality, Lord, I lack nothing. You've cared for me in all my greatest needs. You're always with me. And then he begins to unpack what that looks like. In verse 2, he tells us how the good shepherd provides for him. Look at it. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You know, on the face of it, it can look like the good shepherd is providing food and drink for David here as one of his sheep. He's not. That's actually given to verse 5 and a point that he's making in verse 5. Here, what David is talking about is you as Yahweh and my shepherd, you give me rest. You show me where to rest. And even in the midst of the turmoil of my life, I find rest in you. And that's epic because if you know anything about sheep, which I, I really don't, but having studied a little bit in this passage, I've discovered things about sheep. Sheep don't rest very easily. In fact, they don't like resting at all. To make a sheep lie down is actually really hard because they get scared. They get scared if I lie down, what if there's no food? What if there's no water? What if a dangerous animal comes against me and I won't be able to get up in time and really go? They get afraid. David knows what it is to be afraid. But he says, but Lord, you're my shepherd and you take me to green pastures and I can rest in you. He then says in verse 3 how the good shepherd guides. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. James Montgomery Boyce in his wonderful commentary on the Psalms says this about this verse. He says, sheep are foolish creatures. In fact, they are probably the most stupid animals on earth. One aspect of their stupidity is seen in the fact that they so easily wander away. They can have a shepherd who can have brought them to the best grazing lands near an abundant supply of water, and they will still wander away to where the fields are barren and the water undrinkable. They are creatures of habit. They may be brought to good grazing ground by the shepherd, But having found it, they may keep on grazing until every blade of grass and every root is eaten. The fields are ruined and they themselves are impoverished. No other class of livestock requires more helpful handling than do sheep. Therefore, a shepherd who will move them from field to field, yet always keep them near an abundant supply of water, is essential for their welfare. Now, in Psalm 23, just like in many other places in the Bible, we're called sheep. (laughs) And it's really not that impressive. I mean, I wish we were lions for Jesus or eagles for Jesus or something of that nature. But but we're called called sheep. And, you know, there's something in me that just reacts to being called a sheep. And yet I thought about my life this week and I realized that's exactly what I am. I'm just like a sheep. And it's not impressive. But it's what we're like. Wednesday morning, I got invited about a month ago 
um, to, to play a part in the, in the Sovereign Grace Ministries Polity Committee and to seek to advise them on international matters and how we can expand the polity internationally for Australia but also for around the world. And I was very honoured to get asked. I thought this is very exciting. Uh, the meeting was at 8 o'clock over on my internet, something called WebEx, on Wednesday morning, so I set my alarm, I got out of bed, I got in my car. I left at speed to make sure that I got there on time. I got stuck in traffic. It was five past eight before I got to the office. Panic set in as I realized there were eight people waiting for me to get on this call. So I rushed to my bag, and I find in my bag, I've left my computer on my bed. So instantly, panic sets in of... What the heck am I going to do now? So I rush around my bag and my car to think I need to phone Emma because she might think of something I can do. At which point I find exactly by my computer on my bed is my phone. (laughs) So I am in the office late for the call that I need to be on on the computer. No phone. So I have to I have to find the church directory so I can phone my wife because I don't actually know what the number is. It's just in my phone. So I, I, I find the directory. I phone Emma, explain what the problem is. She gets my computer, but it's going to take too long to get it to me because of the traffic. So she tells me what the code is. I, I steal Alison's computer because it was on the desk. Leave a little note. Sorry about this. It will be available in a few hours. I, I put it on my desk. I start putting all the WebEx information in. It's now about 25 past 8. I eventually figure out how to get on this call. Half past 8, they see my face. Uh, the problem is they can't hear me because I don't know how to turn the microphone on. So I'm like, just give me a moment. Uh, you know, and I'm sort of trying to mime. So I eventually get on. And then I think, I've made some notes that I'm meant to be sharing with them about polity. Okay, I'll get my polity book out that I've also left by my phone and by my computer on my bed. It was a bad moment. Thursday, just the next day, I go to soccer training and and I arrive at soccer training and I think, I'm really hungry. So they said, do you want a cheese toasty? I'm like, I'll definitely have a cheese toasty. That sounds really good. So they give me this cheese toasty and I take one bite of the cheese toasty, at which point half of my back tooth cracks off. Two things take place at this point. First of all, they say to me, Dave, your face looks a bit strange. Are you okay? And and I say, I've just broken my tooth. And some of my friends that weren't watching go, what, like on a Mars bar or something? No. A cheese toasty. It was a humiliating moment. And then, having shared this with them, fear sets in because I hate dentists. One of the best things about heaven will be there will be no more dentists. I have a real fear of all dentists. I want to involuntarily strike them as they touch my mouth because I just hate the whole thing. I would rather be referred to as a lion or an eagle. But the reality is I'm a sheep. I get involved in things. I can't even get there on time. I've forgotten all my stuff. I'm late. The next day I break my tooth on a cheese toasty. I have the humiliation of that. Then I have the fear of that because I know I've got to go to the dentist. That's what sheep are like. They do stupid things. They need a shepherd. And then over small things, they start to panic and they get all jittery in their lives. I think the reality is being a sheep is a good analogy for us as his people. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. We get fearful about things. In this psalm... We're clearly referred to as sheep. But here's the glory of it. 
In Psalm 23, just like other places in the Bible, we're also clearly taught that we have a good shepherd that guides us. One who never leaves us. One who is committed to us. One who says, I know your sheep. And that's why I'm with you. That's why I'm never going to leave you. That's why I'm going to guide you in your life. That's why I'm going to lead you in paths of righteousness for my namesake. And my namesake is something you can stand on. I will never leave you. David knows it. The good shepherd ensures that we lack nothing. He provides rest. He guides. Verse 4, then the good shepherd protects. David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David was well acquainted with the valley of the shadow of death. It's very important we understand when we read this psalm. We're not looking at some dude that's just walking around in a Christian bubble. Nothing ever goes wrong for him. And even when it does, he just views everything through these rose-colored spectacles and just can't even see it. It's like no big deal. He knows what it's like to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. As a shepherd boy, he would have known what it was like to fear being attacked by wild animals, which is a very big possibility where they were gathering the sheep and protecting for the sheep. As a man, he knew what it was like to be chased. People were trying to kill him and what it meant to actually have to flee for your life. As a king, he knew what it was like to fall in sin, even major sin, and then have to, even though he's been forgiven of it, struggle and suffer with the consequences of what he's done in his life. David is a man we can all relate to. And yet throughout it all, he's also known that throughout everything in my life, I've had a good shepherd that protects me, who is indeed with me, who who never leaves me, whose rod and staff comforts me. In verse 5 then, he changes tack slightly. He, He goes off the topic of the good shepherd being a protector and a provider to now talk about the good shepherd as a host. Check this out. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. To David, God wasn't just a good shepherd who cared for him and guided him and protected him. He was also a host who lavished undeserved blessing on him again and again and again. Throughout his entire life, this saving one has pursued him and has sought to bless him time and time and time again. And so David, as he reviews his life and as he knows God and as he peruses his life, he understands, Lord, you've always been with me. I lack nothing. Yahweh, the great king of kings, you are my shepherd. You know me. You know my frame. You protect me. You guide me. You provide for me. I lack nothing. And as I, as I look at my life, I see that you've blessed me again and again and again. You are a perfect host. So then he concludes in verse 6. Surely then. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. His whole premise is, Lord, I know you and I've reviewed the way you are in my life. So I know this. I know that your goodness and your mercy, the two guardian angels of the psalm, I know they will follow me. Isn't that wonderful? Ladies, to you as mums, as you consider 
the weeks and the months and the years ahead, here's my question. What are you anticipating? See, sometimes, I think for you as mothers, in the same way it can be for us as fathers, we can be defeated before we even started. You know what I'm saying? Before you're even getting underway, you realize, oh, it's probably going to be hard. It's probably going to be a really hard week. They're probably going to get really sick this week. And you think, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on. What are we anticipating about the week ahead? What are we anticipating about the year ahead? Here's what I want you to encourage you to anticipate. Goodness and mercy. Because that's what this psalm is all about. It's David saying, I want you to anticipate this. Goodness and mercy. I want you to anticipate goodness and mercy coming after your life. And here's point three. Here's what you can anticipate this goodness and mercy doing. I love this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. That is so wonderful. It isn't just goodness and mercy. Twin guardian angels just happen to be hanging around. Now, these twin guardian angels are pursuing you. They are following you. And I love this because when you study the Hebrew, the whole premise is it's not like a lagging behind following. So for all of you as mothers, you know what it's like when you say, you know, child, could you tidy your bedroom? You get a very different response to, child, do you want a lolly? I don't know how it is, but, you know, you get a very different response. And you say, could you tidy your bedroom? And then you ascend the stairs. You arrive in the bedroom. You assume they're behind you. They're not behind you. They're still downstairs. They haven't even come into gear. So you go back down the stairs and you find that they're sort of moving like this. And you're like, you know, we're going to be here forever. And they're just hoping that you might have tidied it for them while you're up there or something. And That isn't what this means. We're not talking about a lagging behind following. The Hebrew word literally translated means to actively pursue. To actively chase down. Surely goodness and mercy will actively chase you down. That's the premise. It's active and aggressive. I love that. Just a few weeks ago, I were with the kids and we were pulling out of Bunnings. Um, I can't remember where we were. Just Bunnings somewhere, not one that I'm used to. And we're pulling out of Bunnings, we're chatting away, and then I turn right at Bunnings, because clearly the light is free to me to go. At which point as I go and accelerate, I notice out of my wimmer, there is a police car with lights on parked in my boot. And I thought that very strange. So I, so I pull into the middle, assuming that this police car is going to need to definitely get around me and go. And I notice this police car comes with me into the middle lane. So I think, this is terribly troubling. He obviously wants to be in the middle lane so he can accelerate again. So I come into the left lane, and strangely enough, the police car comes with me into the left lane, at which I realize, for some reason, he clearly wants to chat. I have no idea why. Maybe he wants to know Jesus. I don't know. But I pull in to McDonald's. Maybe this is just the Lord at work. I pull into McDonald's, which is always home for me. I pull in there, and, and the police car comes in around me, and, and I wind down the window, and the first thing he says is this, oh, dearie me, with children in the back as well. At which point I want to say, oh, dearie me, you are very ugly. That's what I want to do. I want to say something that's just going to calm down in a moment because you think, man, don't give me this patronizing stuff. But apparently it would appear, I'm not sure that I actually did it, but it would appear that even though I went right over a dual carriageway with six lanes, thinking that it was on green, it 
appears that it was on red, <laughs> you know, and, and God protected us from all dying in a fatal crash. But at the time, we were going out there. That's what we were doing. And what was visible all the time is that these policemen was not letting me out of his sights. He was following me. Wherever I was going, he was coming with me. Well, ladies, I want to encourage you. The Lord chases you down like that each and every day of your life. And he doesn't then pull you in to tick you off. He pulls you in to say, I want to help you. I'm here to help you with my goodness and your mercy. I'm here to protect you, to love you, to care for you. Even when you are alone with that crying child, again, I'm chasing you down to encourage you on your way and to give you goodness and mercy along the way. Mums, I want to encourage you. It would be really good for you and wise for you to diligently follow hard after the Lord. I mean, seriously, I've spent so long with mums who are under the pump, that are undergoing pressures and challenges and temptations. There are many challenges that you face as a mum. And one of the first things often to go out the window in that season is any walk with the Lord. But that's the worst mistake you can make. I want to encourage you, for all you mums, when you're under the pump going through the challenges, that's the time you need to be with the Lord. It's the time you need to sit at his feet. There's that wonderful story in Luke 10 where there's Martha and Mary, and Martha's just busy with a 101 things, serving away, and her sister's just sitting there with Jesus. And Martha's covered in anxiety. She's just troubled about so many different things, which is what can happen when you're a mum, right? You just get troubled because this child becomes your whole world and then this child becomes another child and another child and you think, oh my God, there's so much to do. That's what Martha thought. But then Jesus says to her, you know what, Martha? You're anxious and troubled about many things. But Mary's chosen the good portion. Because as Mary sits with the Saviour, her life is restored. She's aware you are. You're good. You're always with me. You'll never fail me. You'll never let me go. You're the good shepherd. You're the delighter of all. Mums, I want to encourage you. When you are a mum, whatever age the children, particularly with younger children, I really encourage you to diligently follow hard after the Lord. And husbands, I want to encourage you. I actually want to command you. You are called by God to wash your wife with the word. That's a calling on your life. That's not an optional thing. The Bible clearly calls you in your life to wash your wife with the word. There is nothing that is probably going to be more of a temptation to her than when the children are going through the roof. And it is our job as men to at that time begin to pastor our wives, which we're all called to do as husbands, and help them find God in the midst of what they're walking through. So husbands, find time for your wife. Help her, lead her. If that means you looking after the kids so she can go and have a quiet time, then that's top of the list. That's what you do. It's our role to seek to wash our wives with the word. That doesn't just mean we occasionally mention a Bible verse to them. It means we provide a way of ensuring that they can have a walk with the Lord and we fan that into flame and make sure it's a priority. Mums, I think you would be wise to diligently follow hard after the Lord. But here's what I want you to remember. Because your resolve in that will sometimes go great and sometimes go not so great. 
Here's what I want you to remember. His resolve to you. And his resolve to you, whether you pursue him or not, is that you know what? Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. He's coming after you. He's pursuing you in only a way a king and a father and a good shepherd can with his grace and his mercy and his love and his protection and his care. You would do wise to diligently follow hard after the Lord, but whether you do that or not, he is always going to diligently follow hard after you. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that encouraging? You don't earn that. You get that because of his name's sake, because he will not change, because he's faithful. Because he's good. Here's point four, quickly. For how long? How long will this last for? Well, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Not just some days. Not just Sundays. Not just life group days. Not just fellowship days where you manage to gather together as ladies and pray for one another. Not just coffee mornings. Not just special calendar days. But his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you know what that includes? Every day in your life that you're a mother. Each and every day in your life that you're a mother, which actually happens as soon as a child is born until you die, because you're always a mother. The seasons may change. The responsibilities may change. You're always a mother. You're always carrying things for the glory of the Lord as a mum towards your children. Here's what I want you to know. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You know, maybe you look at, out on this year ahead with excitement. You're aware there's got some pretty cool stuff going on for your kids this year and you're just super excited about it. That's great. And we, and we rejoice with you and we want to applaud with you and enjoy those things that you're excited about. But maybe for some of you, as you look out on the year ahead, you, you feel a degree of anxiety and concern and, and fear of what's this going to mean? How are these things going to play out? I, I just don't know how this is going to happen. Well, ladies, surely in goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. I trust that encourages you and I trust it comforts you I trust it strengthens you because that really is, I believe, a mother's sure and certain hope. Something you can know. So stand on it. Drill it into your lives because it will never change. And his goodness and mercy will always follow you. You know, I think it would be appropriate rather than me just praying for us to pray for all the mums that are here. So why don't we just stand together? And if you are a mum, because I don't want to assume that everybody knows absolutely everybody, can you just raise your hand? If you're a mother, wonderful. And let's just gather around all these mums. Maybe if the band could start thinking about coming up as well to lead us in song. Okay, and here's what I want us to do. Get started. And as the band prepared to lead us in songs we close, why don't we just spend some time, find out if you don't know the lady that you're praying for, ask them their name. <laughs> and then why don't you pray as groups and then I'll close that in a few moments. Lord, I do thank you that for every mother here, 
she's not arrived at motherhood by accident. Whether the child is planned or unplanned, they're a gift from you. In your sovereignty, you command life's first cry. You knit all people together in their mother's womb. And so, Lord, I thank you that all mothers here then have been called and equipped to the task by you. Lord, would you show yourself then, as I know you will, to be all sufficient for them as they work through this high and holy calling. Lord, would they know your grace and your favor. And Lord, I thank you that when they sit there by themselves at different times, feeling alone, not really knowing what to do, you are with them. And you know their child more than they could even ask or imagine. Lord, you know how that child is made. You you can number the hairs on their head. And you love that child more than any mother could love a child. Lord, I pray then, Lord, would you give us fresh hope and fresh truth into our lives of understanding. Our children, although important and dear to us, are not our identity. You are our identity. And these children are a gift that one day you will take from us and remove from us as they move out of home and seek to move on from us. Lord, for all the mothers in the room, then, would they know your nearness, would they know your strength, would they know your protection, because surely goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their lives. Lord, would this truth be built into their hearts that even when they make mistakes, even when they don't know where to turn, you are faithful, and you are good, and you are merciful. Lord, you are the good shepherd. And so we trust you in Jesus' precious name.